0: And we are back. You are listening to Board Game Cinema. On this episode, I am joined by my friend, Lewis. How are you doing, Lewis?
1: Doing good, thanks.
0: So, I had to bring in the Star Wars experts <laughs> for this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about a Star Wars movie and a Star Wars game. So, I thought it would be a good idea to bring in my friend, Lewis, as he's a lifelong... Star Wars fan, I guess that's correct to say, right?
1: Huge nerd, yeah. Huge, Huge Star Wars nerd. fan, yeah.
0: So, how old were you when you first saw Star Wars? Do you know? Uh And I guess you you saw the original three before you, like, yeah. Uh, okay.
1: Yeah, so I we had uh in our house we had the original three on VHS when I was growing up, and definitely like wore those tapes out. Um, but I yeah I probably saw them when I was. Maybe four or five.
0: Oh, and so you liked them from pretty early. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I was the kid who was running around with the flashlights pretending it was lightsabers or broomsticks.
0: So then you got to see somewhat of a Star Wars rebirth, right? Because it was like decades. Yeah. I guess Return of the Jedi was like 84, something like that. And then the first Phantom Menace movie was like when, like in the late 90s? I think
1: 97. Okay. So So it was a
0: chunk of time where there wasn't, like, any Star Wars or hope of any Star Wars or, like, talk of any Star Wars or there wasn't a glimmer of hope of any Star Wars. And then sort of, like, I guess the slow march since the prequels, right? The prequels, and then there was, like, a gap again, right? A little bit of a gap. And then they started making just, you know, Disney Plus TV shows and movies and cartoon, you know, Channel, Cartoon Network, Rebels and Clone Wars, you know, seasons and stuff that that we... as Star Wars fans get to enjoy now, um, so what is it about Star Wars that you like so much that resonated with you both as a child and as you know an adult today?
1: So I think as a kid, um, like I grew up watching like westerns. Like my grandfather was like a big western fan, so we watched westerns all the time. And I mean, as a kid, you know the eighties and early nineties, like anything sci-fi was always top of the list. And so Star Wars is like a perfect marriage of those two. It's like that you know futuristic sci-fi lasers like spaceships married with like this idea of like the old west like especially mm-hmm. the the first star wars with Luke Skywalker on Tatooine has the desert setting the two suns like has like a lot of like picturesque like cinematography that's very evocative of like the westerns of the 50s and 60s Gotcha
0: honest of all the properties that are out there like all the IPs of all the movies is would you say star Wars is like your most beloved or like, are there other things that you like more like other, you know, sci-fi or otherwise like series of movies or intellectual property, you know, like the Jurassic park series or Star yeah. Trek or like, or is star Wars like really like number one for you think?
1: Yeah. I think the only thing that would rival it would be like Marvel. So, gotcha. so on top of like star Wars being like a big part of, you know, growing up as a kid, like all the movies I watched, um, I would say, like, Marvel Comics. Like, a huge comic book collector. I still have, like, thousands of comics. Yeah. And, uh, and I would say all the Marvel uh, comic books. And then I was, like, at the right age in the early 90s where you had the Spider-Man TV show, you had, mm. like, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, even though they're terrible looking back at them now, <laughs> uh, the X-Men animated series, but then also, like, the DC stuff. But I was always, like, a Marvel kid. Make mine Marvel.
0: Right. So... Between Marvel and Star Wars, those are probably at the top of your. Pyramid. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, as an adult, you have like, you know, you've been to like, um, the Star Wars land. I guess it's called Galaxy Edge. Yep. At Disney World, and talk about that. What do you how how do you feel about that? Like going there and checking that out. Do you think that's something that Star Wars fans should do? If you like the Star Wars movies, if you're a big fan, do you think you should? Would you recommend
1: it? Yeah, I mean, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. So I, I've talked to other like friends and coworkers, people who like hate Disney, right? So they think Disney's like the evil corporation. They're buying up all the properties, yeah. and all they're there for is to make money. And of course, like that's Disney's a company. Like they're out to to make money. Right. But at the same time, like the enjoyment that I get out of yeah walking into Galaxy's Edge, feeling like I'm stepping into like a Star Wars movie set, is um, I don't know. It's hard to describe it. it it makes me feel very nostalgic like a kid again.
0: Mm, Gotcha. And do your kids, because I know you have kids too, do they like Star Wars?
1: They do. Um, You know, I think their their interest is kind of fleeting in it. Like, it kind of comes and goes. Um, It depends. We've watched um, all the Star Wars movies. We've watched the majority of Clone Wars, all of Rebels. Um, We've watched all the Mandalorian. So, like, Mm -hmm. we've, you know, I've indoctrinated them to, <laughs> as much as I can. Um, but, I mean, they, they love it. They I think they like more of the, the newer stuff. Like, for me, you know, my Star Wars growing up was Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Right. Where, like, their generation, like, they look at those movies, and, I mean, they're older. They look older, and they feel kind of older, like, in the pacing. And and even, even though they have upgraded special effects, but for them like the prequels or Rogue One or any of those like newer movies, like to them it's like newer, faster paced, and so they get into that more.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. But so uh, I guess let me ask you this, what was your favorite Star Wars movie then? Since there are like a you know whole gamut. I know like I've met people that are a lot younger than me that like say like, oh I love um the you know the second of the prequels. Which, what's 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 that one called? Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Oh, I love Attack of the Clones, or I love Revenge of the Sith, or whatever. Like, I'm you know I can say with pretty certainty that that's not one of your favorite. But what is <laughs> what is your favorite? You know, uh, Star Wars movie. So if think, you had to pick one.
1: Yeah, I think. I think the first one. Um, I, I, it's what I have like the most memory of watching like as a kid. Like mm-hmm. when I remember growing up, like that was the one that I watched over and over. Um, but you know, I, I really like return of the Jedi too. I know a lot of people of the original, like that's usually number three for them, but, mm. um, cause the Ewoks stuff like that. But yeah. I, but I, I, really like, I specifically, I like indoor. I like the battle scenes. I like the speeder bikes. Like I like the aesthetics about it and the story, I mean, is good. It's not a bad story. Um, I think empire is probably of the three, the better movie, um, right, like story-wise, uh, you know, as far as being just a better film, well, but you overall, you like the first one. Overall, the first one.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I think um, I remember. So I, I remember. So '84, I think that's when Return came out. Um, I think
1: '83.
0: '83. Yeah. So I would have been in like in third or fourth grade. I remember going to the movies and seeing that like four times. Yeah. Like I took, I went to my dad. I begged my parents. My dad would take me to Springfield Mall movie theater. And I would stand in this long line and like we saw it, you know, so I have a uh, really warm place in my heart for return. You know, there's a lot of cool things in return, you know, like Luke saying like uh, to the emperor, like, you know, I'm a Jedi, like my father before me. That's like the coolest line of any Star Wars movie ever. The only thing that comes close is the episode. um, I don't know the name of the episode. I should know the name of the episode. It's season two, the Rebels episode where Ahsoka fights Vader. And there's some, Ahsoka has some like really cool lines in that episode. Like, uh, says like, he says like, uh, Anakin Skywalker's dead. And then she's like, well, I will avenge him, avenge him. And she's like, he, Vader goes, vengeance vengeance is not the Jedi way. And then Ahsoka says, little, uh, I'm no Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's a pretty cool line too. But, uh, I think my favorite is like Empire. I just like Empire. It, um, you know, it's like what they say in clerks. You know, has a series of down innings. That's what life yeah. is. You know, series of down innings.
1: Well, I think like with Return of the Jedi. Like talking about like that that ending, like the climactic scene. Right, the hero of the story. Yeah, doesn't fight. Like he fights Vader to a certain point, and then he realizes like he's like there's the part in the, the part in the movie where he realizes he's just like his father. Like he yeah. he realizes he's got the mechanical arm now. His mm-hmm. father's made of machinery at this point, keeping like sustaining his life and lost his humanity. And he realizes that, no, like I I don't have to fight. Like if I do this, I will give over to the dark side. And so like he lays down his weapon and he refuses to fight. And in that moment, that's like when Darth Vader turns and, and you know, when he sees Luke being killed by the emperor, he, you know, that saves what the,
0: him. The parental thing, like but, finally kicks in. Yeah, it finally kicks in. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like after I tried to yeah. kill him twice. I think it, if, twice. at the
0: end of the day, like Luke, and I haven't really thought about it too much, but um, in preparation for this rating, But I think at the end of the day, Luke um, saw himself going on the same path of his dad. Yeah, if he absolutely. did kill his dad, it's like what, what kind of person am I killed my own dad? You know, like. Well, there's
1: what? the the scene where he like lops off his hand, and right. and he sees like the machinery, yeah. and he's like has that moment that revelation.
0: And so I think that he realizes, like, there's no victory. This is, like, a no-win situation. Yeah. And then when he does give in to, like, you know, just the notion of, like, I'm not going to go. If I have to die, I'll die, but I'm not turning to the dark side. Yeah. Then, you know, that something. When the Emperor starts to kill him, like, something clicks in Vader. And Vader, like, you know, finally, after all those movies, <laughs> finally wakes up and does the right thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about any of those movies. Obviously, um, the movie that we selected to talk about today is um, Gareth... What's the guy's name? Gareth Edwards?
1: Gareth Edwards.
0: Yeah, it's a 2016 movie, Star Wars Rogue One. So that's the one that we decided to talk about today. Um, so I guess Rogue One would have come out... Let's see, it's hard for me to keep them all... <laughs> I, I, so
1: it's... Six years?
0: What do I you mean six years?
1: So are you saying, like, six years ago?
0: Oh, no, but it would have come out after Force Awakens?
1: Yeah, it came Force out Awakens It came, came out, out a year after Force Awakens. And then it was Force like a Awakens. side story yeah. away
0: from the main trilogy, right? hmm So it was placed, you know, Force Awakens had come out, um, you know, to some, you know, some people liked it, a lot of people didn't, whatever. That's not the theme with this podcast, but Rogue One is placed, you know, immediately before A New Hope. So it's like... And I mean, I'm like, the prequel prequels. It's like an immediate prequel. Like yeah. you can literally, I saw some guy on YouTube. He like seamed the two movies together, <laughs> yeah. right? He like was like, Oh, right. When this one ends, you can cut off the credits and cut off the credits of a new hope. And you can like, um, start watching you know, the movies like seamlessly together, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And basically the story of rogue one is they, you know, the idea is that the Re- rebellion had come up with this plans for the death star. And they found this flaw in the Death Star's design where a single small ship could, like, blow up all the whole Death Star. So as a fan of Star Wars, you know, one, it never bothered me. But I know that bothered a lot of people. Like, oh, come on. Why is there, like, this one weakness? <laughs> you know, as a kid watching Star Wars, I just thought it was like, oh, that's what happens sometimes. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't, like, think about the plausibility of it. But they kind of sort of retconned the plausibility. by they made a storyline that, like, the guy that was building the Death Star... He was like sort of working for the Empire very reluctantly by force, essentially. Uh, Galen Erso, right? Yep. This is Galen, Erso. Galen Erso. He put in purposefully like this flaw. Yep. And he wants the rebels to like get this like secret. And to me, like, it's a brilliant idea for a movie. Yeah. Like, how it shows, like, hey, you ever wonder how they got the plans of the Death Star? <laughs> here's how they got it. Like, here's yeah. all the insanity that they had to get. Um, but what did you think about the movie or the premise of the movie? Like when you think about it and how it fits into the rest of the star Wars like universe.
1: So I think it's like the idea of it, I think is brilliant. Right. Because like watching, watching star Wars, like I never thought like what happened before this, like what can, like you just, you, you launch into it. You're introduced to the characters. You don't really think about it. And like in, in context of the original trilogy, like the, like even though that might be like a catalyst that pushes the story or kicks the story off, like we still meet our characters, like kind of at their beginning, right? Like they're at their beginning of their heroic arc. Mm-hmm. So it never bothered me that I didn't know. But like having Rogue One now, it's like, no, that's brilliant. Like now we get to see like the lead up to that. And I think you were talking about like Rebels before. Like, uh, even though it's like a show primarily made for kids, like to me, that's like one of my favorite Star Wars like uh, TV shows because it's. Um, it, it shows kind of that build-up or that lead up to what we see in the original trilogy, but yeah, because
0: Rebels is like five years before yeah. Star Wars, right? Or at least the first season is like five years before yeah. Star Wars. And then it gets when I say Star Wars, I mean the New A New Hope. Yep. Um, and then it gets like closer and closer as like this season's gone because I think it's like four or five seasons, right?
1: Yeah. And the thing I like about like Rogue One, as it pertains to like where it fits in the narrative, like of the overall like Star Wars ca- canon, is uh, in like the original trilogy like we see we see the rebellion through like the viewpoint of like the characters right so like they walk in and out of the rebellion they're not like necessarily we're not seeing them like constantly boots on the ground like there are an empire we have the scene on hoth so we see the you know the rebellion and the empire fighting there's like the dog fights in space but really the main focus is on the characters not like what's happening in the background no and so like
0: like a band of brothers where it's like you just have this rotating like cast of characters that you lose yeah and so like war is the main story and said this is like the characters are the main story and the characters themselves are like super special they're not just like average soldiers fighting the rebellion one of them's like the last remaining jedi that's alive or you know you you think right maybe and then another one's like a princess
1: yeah and then there's
0: like (laughs) You know, a pirate smuggler guy. So yeah. they start like your normal, like you know, I work for the alien. Yeah. Whereas in Rogue One, we start to see some of those type of characters.
1: Yeah, they're like, in, you know, one of the one of the criticisms I've heard about it is like they're forgettable characters. And mm. and I don't know, like I, I felt like they all had something unique about them, but yeah. at the same time, like yeah, they were regular characters. Like that's that's the point. Like this is. This is what happens behind the scenes while the heroes are swinging laser swords right. and you know jumping into hyperspace. Yeah,
0: but it's not just that. It's not just like the below decks of like Star Wars I mean of Star Trek where they show like an episode of Star Trek where it's like follows some of the not main characters yeah. or whatever. But this is like, yeah, these aren't the main characters, but what they did in reality was like more heroic than what the heroes of the trilogy did yeah. because they all knowingly and willingly, went on a suicide mission. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, so, yeah, I should say, you know, the movie came out in 2016, 2022, the time of this recording. <laughs> we are going to talk about the, you know, I think I said that most, the game most podcasts, I probably should have said this on apologies. Um, but we will be talking about the movie in its entirety. So go out and check it out if you haven't seen it. It's really good. Um, but they do, you know, they go on a suicide mission, yeah. and they all die, so they, they, they... they Literally, they all die, which is pretty crazy. I did not expect that in a Star Wars movie when I went to the theater to watch it the first time. So, um, but that didn't bother me. I know there were some endings, they kind of bandied around where, like, Jen Erso and Cassian Andor lived. But, to be honest with you, I'm kind of glad that they all, like, died because it, like, showed them, like, the ultimate sacrifice that had to be made. To be made to get the plans, to go give them the R2, to give them the... Luke, you know, farm boy who didn't even know what's yeah. going on out there. <laughs> um, but I agree with you that you get to see a different side of the rebellion and you get to see a darker side of the rebellion. Like Cassian yeah. Andor is a spy slash assassin, essentially. Yeah. And he will do whatever it takes to end the empire. Like he will yeah. stab anybody in the back, <laughs> he'll like kill other rebels yeah. if it's gonna prevent him from you know, getting through the mission, he was willing to... I mean, it seemed like he was very close to willing to kill, like, a Jin Urso, the main character's yeah. father. He was going to, like, sniper rifle him, yeah. right? And everybody kind of knew that, and that's why they all kind of, like... There's a moment on the... Ship where he's like, hey, I've been fighting this since I was six years old. Like, now I almost have the luxury just to pay attention to it when they want to, which is kind of what you know, you're know you saying, like, the main characters do a little bit, right? Like, Han's yeah. not like involved in the no. rebellion. He eventually becomes in the rebellion, yeah. but not in the first Star Wars. So,
1: but the and, and and like, that's crazy to think about because you know, when I first watched the movie, I think. I think we may have watched it together in theater. I can't remember, but I know I saw it in theaters when it came out. Oh
0: yeah, I think we did go see it.
1: I want and, to say yeah. we did, but um, I remember like walking away just thinking, "I'm like, man, this was a great movie. Like, it was great, yeah. Liked it better than Force Awakens. I was like, man, if every other movie is going to be like this going forward, like it's going to be perfect. And yeah, um, but I I didn't think about it until I rewatched it again recently. That like the first time we're introduced to Cassian, like. He kills a good guy. He kills a rebel. rebel like, guy. or and and not just that, but like when people complain about like the fied Star Wars, like in a Disney movie, the good guy like kills another good guy so he can make a clean getaway. But the way he justifies it, as you as it's like implied in the story, is if he didn't kill him, he wouldn't be able to get away with the information. So like he had yeah. to kill him in order to that make guy the clean getaway. Given
0: up like what he knew, yeah. Sort of like made it worse for the chance of the Rebellion to, like, succeed. So he had it. And that, that to me, was, like, crazy when I saw in the theater. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this guy doesn't give a F, man. He'll just... (laughs)
1: he's like kill anybody.
0: You know, and then the other cool character, you know, I think his name is Bodhi Rook, and I think he's played by Riz Ahmed, I'm pretty sure. He is a cool character because it's a character I never really thought about in Star Wars before, and that's the character of a defector. Yeah. You know, in a, sort of the Cold War terms of, like, the U.S. and the Soviet Union, you know, you have these, like, people that give up on the ideology of their side, and they go to the other side, they cross the line and go mm-hmm. to the other side. And that's very much what he, you know, he was a um, a pilot that got influenced by Galen Erso, and he had a lot of um, guilt, he had a very guilty conscience about things he's done in the name of the Empire. Yeah. And Galen Erso had told him... Because we don't get a lot about Rook, we don't booty Rook, we don't get a lot. But no. there's a couple of scenes where he said like, "Hey, you know, your father had told me that this is one way that I can make right like the things that I've done." Yeah. And when I watched it the first time, it didn't really hit me as, as much as to like what all that meant. And then you realize like in this this recent most recent time I watched it, I realized like, wow, this guy has a pretty cool like character arc. You know, he's pretty underutilized. He's not in a bunch of scenes. Yeah there's a weird scene where Saul Guerrero, who's kind (laughs) of like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse (laughs) Now, he, like, tortures him with, like, this alien for, like, seemingly, like, no reason. I don't know what that's all about. So there's a few moments in the movie where he doesn't really, it doesn't really seem like he has his his stuff together. But uh, eventually you do get, like, a cool story arc. Like, oh, this guy was, like, a rebel, you know, pilot. And, I mean, an imperial pilot. And he's got, like, codes and passwords that they can use. And he knows their protocol and, like... It makes you think, like, that's really how, you know, that would have been. And we saw a little bit of that in the Rebel show, you know, which Mm -hmm. came later. But there was a character in the Rebel show that's like an Imperial defector. and eventually, like, goes over to the Rebel side. So, And I I think that um, seeing, you know, that um, is cool. And the idea that they're coming out with a Cassian Andor show, which I think is just called the Andor on Disney+. Plus. Where we get to see, you know, more of that character and that, you know, it's obviously a prequel because spoiler alert, he died in Rogue One. (laughs) Um, But to see like some of the the missions that he goes on and some of the stuff he has to do and like the dark underbelly of the uh, rebellion will be really cool because the rebellion isn't like as Lily White, you know, clean and nice and you know, goody goody two shoes as kind of like people think it is. I think it's really like a down and dirty, you know, in the mud, like willing to do what it takes to get yeah. things done. And to see that side of it, like especially like working with bounty hunters and like working with people that you would think are, you know, not really necessarily savory characters or that are unsavory characters, then I, I look forward to seeing that like, kind of those themes like kind of explored more on yeah. screen.
1: And I think uh, it's interesting you bring up like Sog or Era's character. Um, because yeah, that scene like is I don't want to say it feels out of place, but it's just very, it's very weird, and it's it's it, it almost seems like out of tone with the rest of the movie. It and does, then, right? And then they like the whole purpose is like this alien's going to make sure what his true intentions are. It's going to extract his true intentions, and then once like it has its way with him, you know, it, it sucks the information out of him, yeah, it and his
0: mind or it makes and him crazy turns him
1: crazy. Then he's like, I don't believe him.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I think the idea was that, like, he was so paranoid.
1: That, he wasn't going like, to believe anything. He wasn't
0: like, going anything. He was, like, really, Saul Guerrero was, like, yeah. really out of his mind. And if you watch it again, you will know, I think I, if you haven't already, I noticed this last time, essentially Saul Guerrero is the Rebellion's version of Vader. He has gone mm. so far to the extreme of the Rebellion yeah. that when they first show him his close-ups of his, like, metal legs... And it's like he stomps, like just like Vader, like clang, clang, yeah. clang just like Vader, and he has a breathing mass, mm-hmm. and he, it makes the exact same noise the, that Vader does, yeah, yeah. and I think they're putting a nod to the idea that like this guy is so far to the Rebel side that he's lost his humanity, in yeah. the same way that Vader was so far to the Imperial side that he was willing to give up you know, his, or he ended up losing his humanity. I think that it's almost like a counterbalance to Vader. At least I think that's what they were going for. But I completely, 100%, agree. I love, you know, the actor, but his perform, but the just the performance and the placement of Saul in the just movie was very odd. Yeah. And then he was just like, "Hey, we got to get out of here." And he's like, he, "He's like, no, I'm tired of running. <laughs> yeah. Just go. Uh, like, there's no more function for yeah. my character. Because if you you watch the Clone Wars and you watch Rebels, like Saul is like a long running like character." Yeah. I think the, some of that's missed for people that just watch the movies. They see this guy, they're like, who is this guy? What's the backstory yeah. on that? And, like, unfortunately, you know, an IP is such a Star Wars, where there is really beginning to be such a beefy and chunky canon, I think, unfortunately, you know, that has a lot of good things. But the downside is um, a more casual, you know, moviegoer or TV watcher misses out on some of those things. Like, when like Cole, our friend Cole and I, we were talking about um, – I don't want give spoilers cause this is like still very new. Um, but in the, um, Boba Fett episodes, the newest yeah. Boba Fett on um, the book of Boba Fett, like a character shows up where if you didn't watch the Clone Wars, you'd be like, okay, like yeah. who's this guy? Yeah. But if you watch the Clone Wars and you knew that character was, a that's huge, like a huge, huge fan deal. service. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like huge. Yeah. Deal. And so like, I think like, um, <laughs> unfortunately some, I guess in some of the similar ways of Marvel, um, uh, because Marvel does have you know so much historical canon, and they do draw little Easter eggs or not to the fans or whatever, or even bigger ones. Um, Star Wars is in that same boat where now they, you know, with the cartoons and the Clone yeah. Wars and the Re- Rebellion or the Rebel show and other shows, they kind of like have all this stuff to draw and pull from. Yeah. Um, to where now it like, you know, maybe is not um, as evident as to like what's going on toward the more casual viewer.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, it's like a double edged sword, right? Because when I was a kid, like I watched the movies and. Like, again, uh, you know, I'd said it earlier, like, I grew up as a kid of the 80s and 90s. So so I watched the movies, and then I'd go to the store, and I'd see books on the shelves, Star Wars books. So I'd yeah. grab a Star Wars book, and then I'd go to the comic book store, and there'd be Star Wars comic books. And then, like, you know, Star Wars video games started coming out. And then so there's just, like, so much additional content out yeah. there that that's, like, what creates, like, someone that, oh, I like that movie, too. oh, I love Star Wars. Like, yeah. it's a huge part of... Like, you know, my nostalgia as a kid growing up, yeah. <laughs> it's a huge part of my life all of a sudden. Next
0: thing you know, you have, like, toys and models <laughs> yeah. and lightsabers and, like, oh, this is my Star Wars movie. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. But I think, uh, I will say one thing I think the movie did really well is I think that it had a really good balance of, like, if you removed all the Star Wars out of it. Like, it's still a, a good movie, right? Like, it could still be maybe set in a fictional place, or yeah. even if you set it, like, during, like, the Cold War, or during, like, World War II, like, the, the key plot points of it could still, I think, hold up. But I think...
0: Yeah, it has a cool story, even if yeah. it Star Wars. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so I think, you know, I think you can obviously see... You mentioned is uh, Sagarera is Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now. Seemed like it, kind Like, of. you can see, like, those Vietnam War scenes, like, especially in Scarif. Like, yeah, the battle like scenes in Scarif, it like feels... like helicopters
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. dropping
1: in. Yeah. Like, yeah. And even, like, the, the rebel uniforms, like, some of them have, like, helmets that look like U.S. military yeah. helmets. And, um, I mean, you can see a lot of, like, that influence. But, uh, but I don't know, I, I think that, you know, overall the movie, if you were to remove, like, the IP from it, you could still have a pretty solid story because it's about... Um, I mean, you know, at the core of it, like, the two main characters, like, they're both, like, coming to terms with something, right? So, like, you have Cassian coming to terms with, um, like, the bad things he's done, and realizing, yeah. like, you know, I, I've had to make all these horrible decisions in order to try to find some hope that, you know, this war will end. Where you have Jen who had a horrible life, like her parents were, or her mom was killed. Yeah,
0: we killed. Jen very much. But yeah, her mom goes out like Bambi's mom yeah. right at the very beginning of the which, movie. Which I was like, oh here we go. Which another I'll... Disney movie where the mom dies right at the beginning.
1: <laughs> like a lot of people complained about that, but like there was a like the movie overall, besides Forrest Whitaker, it has like fantastic performances. Yeah. And like just the performance, like even with the mom, it's like super subtle and it's very like brief. But you have like at the beginning of the movie, you know, Krennic comes. He's trying to pull Galen Arso back in. He wants him to help him finish the Death Star, right? Yeah. Um, he's trying to hide his wife. Even though Krennic knows his wife's with him, he's yeah, still trying to Harry hide the wife. Everything. Well, the like, wife the comes running out, those. pulls a blaster on Krennic. Yeah. And of course, like that's her death sentence, right? And so he orders the troopers to shoot her. She dies. And so somebody just viewing it might be like, "Oh, that was a waste. Like, why would she do that? Like, why would she go get herself killed?" Like I understand she doesn't want to go back to the Empire.
0: Yeah, it doesn't want to be a slave. Prisoner, I guess. But
1: it feels kind of a waste. And then like this time around watching it, there's a flashback scene where Jen's remembering like when they were with the Empire. She's like a kid playing with toys. And in the background you see like the dads like smiling with Krennic, like cheersing with cocktails. In an Imperial uniform, and you see the mom and she just has this look of like misery on her face. Right. And so it almost to me implies that there's this certain level of like Galen was going along with it and maybe he eventually realized the error of his ways, but like she obviously was miserable. She realized this was a horrible place to be, but Galen was keeping up appearances. Yeah. That's
0: very interesting because I know that Edwards had said that for him, Galen Erso was like J. Robert Oppenheimer, the Mm -hmm. creator of the atomic bomb. And you have this notion of like where they are living almost in this gilded cage and maybe he was just so obsessed with the science and this let him do the science. Yeah. Whatever, you know, whatever he was I guess working on energy production or whatever that they, you know, turned into like a weapon. Yeah. Um and that she was like more of an idealist. Like he maybe like just sort of eschewed or ignored like some of the politics of it. Because, you know, at this time in the story, like the Senate is still like a, a nominal and name only thing, but it still exists. And yeah. he might be thinking, like, oh well I'm working on this, but this is gonna it just lets me do my science, it lets me, you know, have it gives me the resources I need, and so nope. I'll put up with all this. Where she was like not buying it, not nope. feeling it at all, and so she like couldn't go back to that, like, wife, she'd rather just die. But I know in a lot of early drafts, um, she was gonna be a Jedi,
1: yeah,
0: uh, which I'm glad they did not do that. That would have <laughs> been <too>. really lame, <laughs> me too. <laughs> that pretty
1: lame well i mean it, yeah because that's the it's the curse of the star wars movies right is everything, a Jedi. everything has to be connected to skywalker yeah, everything has to be connected yeah. to the I jedis mean, so annoying. or it won't be successful and and i think this movie even though we have that amazing scene at the end with vader um i mean for the most part like there's really not a whole lot of mysticism in it i mean you've got cheroot but yeah, aside I guess from they're Chiru, guardians of
0: the wills. They don't really go into it too much. They're just, like, protectors of the Jedi Temple. They're not yeah. Jedis themselves, but obviously they believe in the factors of the Jedi Temple. They're not yeah. Jedi themselves, but obviously they believe in the Force, like, on a religious or at least a spiritual level. And yeah. they're willing to, like, fight to try to, you know, protect the idea of the Force. Uh, but they're not Jedi. Well, thank God they're not, you know, they could yeah. you know, just...
1: I think you could say yeah, like, true. I mean, he's like a yeah, he's like a monk, right? So he's he's, a monk, yeah. he's like a a disciple of the Force. He uh, and, guarded and
0: Baz, too, right? Because yeah, yeah. he says that at one time Baz was the most devoted of all of us. Yeah. So he he's a monk that's like lost his way. Yeah, he's like this is all over. There's nothing to protect anymore. Now he's
1: like a hardened soldier. Yeah, yeah. but now Chirrut, God man, that that character, like I think. I don't know. Who, who would you say is your favorite character from the movie?
0: Uh, Donnie Yen. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, it's kind of, you know, that's, it, again, it's like one of those, like you said before, Double Edged Sword thing, where it's like, as a Star Wars fan, I complain, like, oh, they put Jedi in everything, they put Jedi in everything. And then, <laughs> but I, I, in, in anything where there's a Jedi, that's like my favorite character. Yeah. like And so he's like the most like the Jedi. Yeah. And so, and you know, just the way he goes out is pretty cool, and like his ability is pretty cool. I don't know, I don't know about him shooting a bowcaster and taking out a Tie Fighter. That was a little sus
1: I don't know. I think so. <laughs>
0: I don't know about the legitimacy of that.
1: Yeah, but um, it, but it was a cool scene though. It was
0: cool. It was cool. Um, but I do. But I think it's close between Chirrut and a character we haven't talked yet. Um, too much about was K two SL. So yeah. I just love K two SL. Oh, I yeah. loved all his lines. I loved the way he looked. Yeah. I loved how he was a reprogrammed Imperial droid. I thought that was cool. Again, it opens up a lot of, like, spy-type storylines, and, like, and, you know, he's real sassy and back talks and it's, like, because of his reprogramming, he just says whatever he wants and doesn't, you know, and so it's pretty crazy, like, how cool of a character he is, and then even the way he, like, goes out his, like, death scene, where he, like, is just, like, getting blown apart, and he's, like, taking out Stormtroopers left and right. Uh, I just thought he, that was a great performance, um... And I loved his character. I like love everything about his character. Um, so it's really close between him and Shirut. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think K2 SO and Shirut are probably my my two yeah. favorite. Um, with K two SO, I think I think what they accomplished with this is the same thing they did in the original like trilogy with C three P. So they like give them like human like qualities. Right. So that way like you care about them because normally like if it's a robot, like yeah, who cares, People right? Care, yeah. But um like, with, like, K2SO, there's a few times where he walks past other Imperial droids that are the same model, and they walk, like, very slow, very purposefully, like, right. with a certain gait, and he, like, walks like a person. Like, he's got kind of, like, a slump, he'll, like, kind of shuffle side to side. He, he does, yeah. And he, and like...
0: There's, yeah, there's he, there's two weird things about him too, Lewis. One is, any time in the movie when he's at, put on a spot, yeah. he's like, hey, where are you going? he doesn't have any ability <laughs> to be creative at all which I thought was cool like they yeah. didn't let him like lie or let him be like so the flourish of creativity mm-hmm. that was almost like the spark of creativity is reserved for like organics you know because yeah. he like could not like pull off <laughs> any type of lie situation yeah. you know and the other thing is when he when he's like oh we need a map of this facility and um, Andor Cassian is like oh well you know what you have to do and they have this <laughs> really creepy scene where he's like killed another like k two so Droid. he's like hacking the guy that that droid's like brain and his eyes are like flashing yeah and you're almost like dude this guy's like a vampire it's like so creepy
1: yeah well i I I, like and it's like witty without being witty right like they do something similar with like drax in the guardians of the galaxy movies where he's like stone cold serious but it it's like really dry humor and so yeah um like the scene when when they decide they're going to go to scarif to try to assist jen and everybody's like, yeah, like we're, we're there. We're, we're, we're coming. Like, you've got, you've got us, uh, you know, you're back. Like we're she coming. And K, speech, yeah. Right? And K2SO goes, Jen, I'm going to help you because Cassian told me I had to. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, huh? Like, it, like, and I didn't obviously deliver it the same way Alan Tudyk did, but like, yeah. it's got like that dramatic pause because I, I have to. And it just, it's hilarious. I
0: really like that. When she gave that speech, yeah. I really like that speech. I thought that was cool. And like, how there was a handful of people that were willing to go on the suicide mission. Yeah. And I think, we don't really talk about her performance, but I think, what's her name? Felicity? Something?
1: Felicity Jones.
0: I thought she did really good. Like yeah. I liked her character way more than I thought I was going to... What What other stuff has she been in? Oh, like, geez. anything else that you've seen? I don't
1: know. Not, not that I can think of. Yeah, I don't I mean, think it
0: like, turned her into like, a huge household name star. I mean, I'm sure no. she's been in other stuff, but...
1: I mean, she's, she's British, right? So I know she's yeah. probably been in a lot of stuff over there, but... Um, she was in that, uh, the Tom Hanks, Dan Brown novel movie, Inferno. Like, oh, she was the female lead. I, I never saw it. Not good. Don't watch it. we <laughs> um, Yeah, I thought she
0: did a good job as Jen so. Yeah.
1: I, I know she's been in other stuff. I just can't, I can't And think I liked it. her
0: relationship with her father and how she kind of reconciled that at the end. And, yeah. Um, how she kind of at the end realized that, like, oh, I, I have to, like give my life for for the cause. This is what my father would have wanted. This is what my mother was trying to do. And like
1: yeah.
0: um I liked her relationship, um her contentious relationship with um Cassie and Andor. I'm glad they didn't like make out at the end right before they blew up or anything. Yeah, it didn't or, have like, to be like respect. romantic. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I liked I liked it and I liked the way that they handled her character. Um there are some problems with the movie. Um I don't know if you want to dive into this right now, but one of the things that I've heard people talk about and I also felt at the time, and I don't know if this is the I don't know if the cause of it is known, but you don't I personally don't feel as emotionally connected to other characters as I could have, as I feel like there's some establishment of who these characters are and how they relate with each other that is like maybe shot but cut out. Yeah. Um the reason why I say that is watching some YouTube videos about the movie um, apparently 40% of what you see on screen is pre-shoots. Yeah. 40%! And it's really evident in that when you watch the first teaser trailer, a ton of stuff in that teaser trailer... Yeah.
1: Well, it's like 90% you didn't make it in the see movie. in the movie. Yeah.
0: Like, there's a scene where she's on a catwalk, and a tie fighter rolls up behind her, and it mm-hmm. looks, like, really crazy. And I was waiting for that, and the movie I was waiting. Never wait, ha- it never happens. <laughs> yeah. And there's a bunch of other scenes like that, too. And... Uh, for whatever reason, I remember at the time, there was a few movies that, that was kind of occurring at once, and there was a little bit of a fan backlash from that, because people yeah. were like, hey, you're putting this stuff in trailers, and we're going to the movies, and it's not in the movie, yeah. so is this, like, false advertising, well, or, like, what?
1: So, I think it was... it's probably back at the time, like, it came out. Um, it was either, like, on Reddit, like, on an Ask Me Anything, but I know Gareth, Gareth uh, Edwards made a comment about that. Like, they asked, like, hey, what happened to those scenes, and... You know, so they initially shot the movie, and then in order to get the teaser trailer put together, they have like a whole marketing team that comes in. They hire out usually like a, a different film house that is all they do is produce trailers. Yeah. And they pull what they feel is like the best material that would show like show the best and and have the most impact in the trailer. And he was like, and unfortunately, that's all the stuff they got left on the cutting room floor. So, um. Then they went back because they had, uh, you know, did like they do, like testing, like yeah, like small sluck testing to to see how scenes are going as the movie's in production, and people hated the tone, like they didn't like the tone of the movie, they um, thought that st- some stuff was like too confusing, right. um, probably like some of the Saga-era stuff, and um, they went back and they had like two or three months of reshoots, which is right. like, pretty, like pretty like pretty big.
0: Yeah, that's um, a lot. It's not a few like, no. oh, we didn't catch this or this isn't really clear. Let's add a scene that explains this. Yeah, it's like whole other scenes. Yeah,
1: yeah. So they had, they had to do two months, of, like two or three months of reshoots, and then one thing I read because so the score was done by uh, Michael yeah. G G, G-, G- Gina. They had to, like do he
0: had like one month. To, well, like... the
1: reason why he had a month is there was another composer who did the original score for the original cut. Right. And they're like, this doesn't fit anymore. Right. Like what are we gonna do? So that's and why
0: so use so much of the previous material.
1: And yeah. Like and so they I went to so they went to Michael Jean China, who's an amazing composer. Um and
0: so really the movie, you know, it has like a couple like big acts, right? Like there's this huge chunk of the movies at this this battle scene. Yeah. And then there's this, you know, pretty, you know, lengthy Um, Maybe not in time, but at least in impact. um, Vader scene at the end. Yeah. Um, So I guess maybe some of the establishing stuff where they got to know their characters a little bit more. I feel like maybe some of that just got lost lost in the shuffle of like the reshoots and the edits. But I definitely feel like that's a legitimate criticism and that like you don't care, at least me personally, I don't care about the characters. Their deaths aren't as emotionally impactful True. as they would have been if there was a few, just a few more scenes in there that made me care about them a little yeah. bit more. Explained a little bit more, like what their motivational was, what they were trying to do, like what you know, how they related to each other, humanize them a little bit more, make yeah. them a little bit more three-dimensional. So I feel like that criticism is fair. The other criticism I did want to talk to you about is that it's not really a criticism of this movie. As much as it is the philosophical objection to the concepts of what this movie does, and that there are two characters who are no longer with us, where we see see them, like, yeah. CGI'd out, right? Yeah. What do you think about the moral and, like, ethical dilemma of, like, using, you know, people's likeness to play parts? Yeah. So I guess it's, um, Grand Moff Tarkin. Yep. And we see him, like, you know, reanimated, <laughs> alive, <laughs> and, um... And then Leia, right? Yeah. Who Leia was still alive at the time, but they just did like a younger version of her. Like it was like her new hope version, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's tough. I remember when we, I remember when we watched it, and that was kind of my chief complaint <laughs> that, um, that Leia felt real wonky. Tarkin looked a lot better, but even then, like it just it it's that uncanny valley. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. And I think. uh I mean it, it's like pretty ballsy that they put like on display like two CGI characters of real people. It's not like you have the Hulk, you know what I mean? Like well, that's what Or I mean. Thanos. Like these are uh, these so are not, likenesses. Not so much
0: just a criticism of like how good or how
1: well, know, yeah. bad it was, yeah.
0: But more so like the, the concept of like should they be the doing this. Ethical. <laughs> should she be doing this? Because the guy that played Grandma of Tarkin, like he wasn't alive, right? So like yeah. he had no say in whether or not he was like so, but I think they got permission from his estate they did. or something like that. They got,
1: they got permission from his estate, and they actually had, like, uh, I don't know if it was, like... I want to say it was, like, members of his family were oh. consultants, like, okay. on the visual effects. To give,
0: like, advice on how now, it looked.
1: Now, is that still ethical? I, I don't know. I mean, we're... Right. I think it's... I think it's hard to say. I, I don't think Grand Moff Tarkin was needed. Like, I don't think he had to be in that. Like,
0: But it was cool. To me, it was cool that he was in it.
1: I think it was cool. So, like... When I, was, I saw
0: him, I was like, wait, did they do, like, a computer yeah. animated Grand Moff Tarkin? Wow, they don't yeah. even give a F, dude. They're just yeah. going for it.
1: So, I think... I mean, it's tough. I think with movies like this, especially, like... Well, not movies like Rogue One, but properties like Star Wars... Or properties like now the Marvel Cinematic Universe or um, like Indiana Jones, like big properties that have made like hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. Like, I mean, there's stuff in these contracts where they own the likeness of the character on screen. And so part of that likeness of the character isn't just the costume or the wardrobe. It's like the person's face.
0: Yeah. So So that goes back to Back to the Future 2. Are you aware of this? Have you heard of this before? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, there's a guy Back to the Future, his name is Crispin Glover. He plays Michael J. Yeah, Fox's yeah. father. Yeah. So, in the parts of the movie in the 1980s, he is made to look a lot older than he is because he's supposed to be playing Michael J. Fox's father. And then the parts in the movie in the 50s or whatever... He looks how he really looked. He was like a young guy. He was like the same age as Michael J. Fox. Right? Yeah. Chris McGlover was like a young Hollywood actor at the time. So Chris McGlover is really weird. And he did not like the ending of Back to the Future.
1: Okay.
0: So when he got the script and, um, so yeah, I owe all, all this to just stuff I've seen on YouTube. If this is incorrect, I apologize, but, my understanding is that he got the script, and like a lot of actors, you don't give you the whole script. They give yeah. you kind of a synopsis of what the movie's about, and then they give you your your lines, like the day of the shooting or whatever. So he did the movie, it came out, and he did not like the ending. He hated the ending of the movie. Okay. To him, the ending of the movie shows the family is like getting along now, their house is clean, they got a nice life. And he felt the message of Back to the Future was if you have money, it solves all your problems. Mm. All you have to have is money. If you just 80s yuppie it out and get money, then you'll be happy. (laughs) And he didn't like that. Like, philosophically, he didn't agree with that. He thought that was sort of not a good message to be portrayed and he would not have played the part if he had known that it would have been used to, like, send that message in the movie. Like I said, he's kind of, uh, maybe to some people, kind of a weird guy. I don't know. Like, he's, I kind of get what he's saying, but at the same time, like, you're in a Steven Spielberg blockbuster movie <laughs> right to the wheels yeah, fall off, you know? Right. So he refused to be in Back to the Future too. Okay. So there's varying stories. One story is that he's like, I don't want to be in Back to the Future too. I don't like the ending in Back to the Future. Another story is that executive producers say that he asked for, like, as much money as Michael J. Fox to be mm. in the movie. Another story is that, well, he did that knowing they would never meet it, and that's why he would give them a way to get out of being in the movie. Okay. So, in Back to the Future 1, you know, like I said, they make him look a little bit older. Yeah. And one the way they do that is they have prosthetics. Like, they use some makeup and, you know, there's no CGI back then. Yeah. 1985. But they use some makeup and stuff and they make him older. So, they have a, a a cast of his face. So, they <laughs> okay. have an actor. So, his the father appears in Back to the Future 2. Yeah. It is not Christopher Glover. Huh. It is an actor with a wonky... Looking Crispin Glover mask on. And if you remember, in the scenes that we see Crispin Glover in the alternate version of the future, whatever, I don't even know. It's been so long since I see Based version 2. He's like upside down. He's hurt his back, his character's hurt his back. He's
1: laying He's on, on this like that rack. Hoverboard thing. Yeah. thing
0: that floats around upside down. And the reason why is because it makes it look less wonky because you're not, like, paying attention to his face as much as, like, the whole, what's all this is going on. Yeah,
1: your, your brain, Weird,
0: like, loud thing.
1: Transposes if the if you watch stills
0: from it, you can see, like, oh, that's a guy in a mask, <laughs> right? So, Christopher Glover goes to see Back to the Future 2, or somebody tells him about it. Yeah. Hey, you're in the movie. He's like, I'm not in the movie. <laughs> no, dude, I saw the movie. You're in the movie. <laughs> And he to the movie and sees, like, they have a mask of his face. Because it's not, it's literally a mask of his face. Because it's, uh, you know, yeah. like a, whatever that's called. Where they make, like, a plaster of your yeah. face or whatever. And so it's a guy with a similar height and a similar haircut. And they put a mask on his face. <laughs> and uh, so he, like, sued. So he, like, sued and was like... You cannot use my likeness. Yeah. And it, like, changed... And he won the lawsuit. Oh, wow. And it changed the way that, like, contracts are written and producers and stuff. And apparently, um it, like, also, like, really damaged his career because he, like, got known as, like, you know, he's yeah. willing to sue the studio and stuff like that. And so... But anyway, like, I bring that up because it's kind of like a, the OG 1986 version of, like, what's going on in, like, these Star Wars movies, yeah. you know? Now, I feel like that's come so far since 2016 to where when you see Luke and The Mandalorian, it looks like Luke. Yeah. It doesn't look like Uncanny okay Valley. Yeah. It doesn't look weird. It doesn't look make my stomach hurt. It doesn't yeah. make you dizzy. It looks like Luke, and you think, like, oh, my God. And then... I want to see just a whole series of this young <laughs> Luke, yeah. like
1: running around. I think, and I mean, obviously Mark Hamill's still alive, so he can he can either object or, or agree to it. and
0: keep taking them checks. Oh, huh? they
1: they brought him they brought him in like he acted out those scenes, even though none of what he did, none of his performance was what was on screen. Yeah, it was like reference material for the actor who played him. But I think I think in my opinion, like the while I. Again, it's that double-edged sword when it comes to Star Wars, right? Like, it's great, but you don't like you you don't want to keep having more of that thing. But when you do have it, you're still happy about it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with that. Like, I like the nostalgia hit when they bring back the old characters, but at the same time. Like I, I'm fine if they just create new characters.
0: So two things about that. One is you know they did that Fast and Furious. One of those Fast and Furious movies that you love where they had a like, Paul Walker. <laughs> yeah. Like Deadpool. They had his, his a brothers car or something, right? Like they had his computer-generated yeah. face or something. Or yeah. Was it a computer-generated face or unused scene or? So
1: something? they did. They brought his. They brought two brothers in who acted uh-huh. out parts. So they already had like similar facial structure. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it was, like, a combination of deep... I think it was, like, a combination of, like, deep fakes uh, and CGI. Uh-huh. But they effectively utilized his brother's performances, who already had similar features yeah, to him, yeah, yeah. and then overlaid, like, kind of a CGI or, or like, digitally That's altered another face. that
0: comes to mind. Somebody that had died and yeah. still were in other movies. So, the second thing I was going to say about that is, like, hey, I don't feel bad about it. I'd rather just do, like, a different movie with a different actor.
1: Yeah.
0: So, the solo. So, like, would you... If the technology was there to like make Solo be literally Harrison Ford like young version Harrison Ford, would you prefer that to having another actor play young Solo? I would not. I I I just want to see another actor yeah, and give another actor a chance, you know? Like
1: Yeah, I don't think it's I mean, I don't think it's necessary, but again, like as as much as I like the solo Yeah, as much <laughs> as I like the prequel stuff, I think I, especially with a Solo movie like it it's not a bad movie. But I don't think it, it was like necessary. Like it, like you could even say that about Rogue One. Like Rogue One's not necessary. But
0: Rogue One tells an untold like story of it untold does. characters that like fits seamlessly into the continuity of Star Wars.
1: But like with with Solo, like I didn't need to know his backstory. Like I knew enough about him as it is. Yeah. Like from his opening scene, like when we first meet him in the in the cantina, and he shoots Greedo, yeah. and you find out he's got a. You know, huge debt to Jabba the Hutt for failing a mission or failing a, like a, a it's smuggling. All laid out there. It's all like, there. Like you know who New he enough. is. Right. Like you get enough of the backstory, whether it's through exposition or whatever, and like I get a sense of the character, and then we see his character arc, and it's and it's good. I don't like, if, especially for him, like I don't need the background. And
0: some of that stuff, isn't it better? Okay, so here's my example. Isn't it better to not literally see all that stuff and just like know kind of some highlights and let yeah. your brain fill it in? Whereas the difference between that and like Rogue One is like we don't know anything about Rogue. We just know like they had the plans. Yeah. we didn't know anything, and so they could like go and make up. I didn't already have like all this stuff kind of all like right. run running around in my mind. It's like you know what kind of person he was and all that. You know. Well,
1: it's it's like the issue with the prequels, right? So, like growing up watching the original trilogy, everybody had their own idea of how. Anakin became Vader.
0: Yeah, but do you remember that, like, time before the prequels came out? You remember, like, being alive, right? Yeah. So do you remember, like, knowing, like, oh, Vader got messed up from a... (laughs) Like, I just remember, like, when I grew up, everybody always would say, like, oh, Vader got messed up in a fight with Obi-Wan. Yeah. Like, but, like, on a lava planet. Yeah. But how did everybody know that? Like, was that in a comic book? Was it in a book? Was it in a... I just feel like that was just like maybe know. this is a Mandela effect thing, but I feel like when <laughs> no, they I, had that I battle on Mustafar, remember, yeah. it wasn't like a shot, Like, oh, that's why he got messed up. He was a level. I kind of feel like I already known that. Oh, as soon, as, whole soon life. as you
1: saw in the previews of the trailers, like the like uh, the planet Mustafar, like you know, oh, that's that's where it's going to go down. Like <laughs> yeah. that's where it happens. But
0: I don't know how we all knew.
1: I don't know. I mean, well, there was a lot of there's a lot of books. There's a lot of novelizations yeah. that expanded they, on must that. Must have been mentioned somewhere. And the other thing too is. Um, Like, I've got a couple of them. There's there's really cool books that they've printed, like, like, what I would call, like, coffee table books, Uh um, where it has, like, a lot of, like, artifacts. So, um, like, one of the things, so we haven't really talked about it, but, like, all of these Star Wars movies, like, have, like, homages or throwbacks to the, like, original trilogies, right? And I think, like, this one of any of the more recent ones does it more subtly and, like, does it. In a, I think in a clever way. So, like, The Guardian of the Wills. Like, that comes from the original draft of Star Wars, or one of the original drafts, mm-hmm. was called, like, The Star Wars, A Journal of the Wills. And the idea was, it was, um, George Lucas was writing, like, a narrative. That's why it says a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far mm-hmm. away, is you're being told the story via an author. Like, someone's telling you, like, a written record of the history of the Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so, and so it was like the Journal of the Wills and Mace Windu came from a character who was, I think at one point, one of the original authors of like this Uh. Journal of the Wills. Um, And so like a lot of those things are kind of like peppered in there. But I think like a lot of that too, like, especially in the, like with the, you know, internet, like being more widely used, like a lot, I remember a lot of that stuff was like circulated, like in the. In like mid-late nineties, like mm. you could find like original drafts, original a lot of like scripts.
0: Spoilers, not spoilers, but a lot of like artifacts.
1: Yeah, like kind of behind the scenes. Like I remember like it was about that time, like I had never heard of Ralph McQuarrie. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like I'm seeing all this concept art, and it's like, holy crap, like yeah. this is where like a lot of these ideas for like the aesthetics of Star Wars came and then you from. you
0: see all that stuff in Rebels eventually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's one of the cool things about Rebels is that it's all based on that um, Ralph. Macquarie. Um, yeah. Like, art, right? Like, you see the characters, like, uh, you know, Harrison Dula and um, <clears throat> Canon Jarris. and, like, it looks like those characters from his original, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, like, some of the Stormtrooper outfits, like, the helmets. Yeah. Like, even, even down to the design of the lightsabers. Like, I remember when it first came out. Like I, I wondered. I was like, why, why are the lightsabers designed that way? Like they're so thin, and they almost come to like a point, you know. Um, and then when I heard that a lot of what you know, a lot of the de- like design of the show came from Ralph McQuarrie's art, I was like, oh well, like all of his lightsabers were almost designed as like fencing swords. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, it. I don't know. It, it's really cool. But I think in Rogue One, they just they do a lot of like good homage to to like the original trilogy and they even take things like the the ads or the tie fighters and they create like new ones without completely changing the design up yeah where it it feels like it still fits in the universe
0: tie fighters too yeah they had like different tie fighters in yeah. the movie it was also cool that um where we saw the battle scarf it was like on a tropical planet we never really saw a tropical planet yeah. in star wars before and that was really cool but when i was watching the movie i was thinking like Man, these stormtroopers—they got it made compared to the ones like on Hoth and like all that, you know, Tatooine. They can just go swim in the ocean and and chill out. Yeah, Yeah, time off. Like,
1: little um. did they know they uh, were gonna get blown up by their uh, by commanding officer.
0: Yeah, what did you think about Krennic as a character?
1: I liked him. I I mean, I think Ben Mendelsohn like is a a really good actor, anyways. But um, I like the character. Uh, you know, it, it kind of showed another side of, like, the Empire that we don't see. Like, any time we see the Empire, usually, like, they're real imposing, like, real threatening.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And in this, like, you get the sense, like, he's, like, trying to make a name for himself. Like, he like wants the credit. He's, like, a manager that's trying to get promoted. Yeah, he, like, like goes yeah. to
0: Vader and is, like, whining, like, will you talk to the Emperor for me? Yeah. Vader's, like, get out of here, dude. Like, <laughs> what, do you know who I am? Time for this mess.
1: Yeah. Oh, and everybody everybody hates that scene too because it's got the yeah it's got the dad joke Vader. Did that bother you though? Oh no, it didn't really bother me. I I thought it was funny. Like when he said it, it's like ah, I get it. It's like a it's a funny joke. I mean, but he always like from what I recall, and I can't think of the quotes offhand. I don't think he made puns. But he, he would usually make some kind of a threatening comment, like after force choking somebody or before he left the room, like in the like in the first one when like, you know, it's your lack of faith is disturbing. Yeah. Like stuff like that. Like he had like these kind of one liners. Huh. He
0: like he talked, you yeah. Know? Um, so talking about Vader at the end, what did you think about when you watched the movie the first time and you saw Vader come out at the end and he's like just going to town.
1: I, um, could, I could have died right then and been happy. <laughs> and like this is it. This is as good as it's going to get.
0: Yeah. No, there's it's... a few moments in Star Wars, like, fandom uh, that are, you know, at the top. Like, I think, you know, the, the like we talked about before, the, the throne room, the Emperor's throne room, Return of yeah. the Jedi. And then, you know, up there, right up there is, uh, uh, for me, I really like... The, Darth Maul and Obi-Wan's, like, fight in Rebels. Yeah. And then up there is, you know, at the top is, like, definitely Vader in Rogue... Near the top is definitely Vader in Rogue One, where you get to see, sort of, Vader at the height of his power. Yeah. Like, just going to town on...
1: He's, like, unleashed.
0: Rebel troopers. Yeah. Just hacking them to death. To oh, death
1: yeah. And, like... And I know, like, so it was a it's a great scene i know there are a lot of people that complain that well you know in the original movies vader's not that strong he's not that powerful and i mean I, like the, yeah. my argument to that would be none like if you just break it down on like choreography none of what he did was anything new right so like force choking moving people pushing people like he he did all of that in the original trilogy yeah it was i think a little more intense in this um it's obviously like modern filmmaking so it's going to be a little more intense there's going to be better special effects but like he catches a blaster bolt right like he did that in empire, um, strikes, empire strikes back, back yeah. when they uh they're on cloud people city people are really mad
0: thing. about kylo ren doing that in uh, one of the first star where the first star wars movie. oh where
1: he like stops the he bolt he freezes it yeah. yeah
0: but vader kind of does the same thing yeah and I, I, I always, I don't know, this is getting way nerdy, but to me, like, I always thought, like, the way they present the Jedi, at least in a lot of this stuff, it's like, they all have kind of different unique abilities based on their own, like, powers, what they pursued. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you're a Jedi, you can do these ten things, here's a checklist, yeah. you know?
1: What's how they use Because some Jedi's, force. like, can
0: do Force healing, some Jedi's can, you know? So yeah. to me, that kind of stuff never really bothered me. But it is somewhat strange that the Jedi, the Vader that we see against Obi-Wan in this new hope is this yeah. like a much more like lumbering yeah. kind of like you know vader versus the one that we see in uh the end of rogue one where he's
1: like yeah i mean i will say he he moves quicker like that is that that is true but i think with um like even at the end of like return of the jedi when he's fighting luke or um even like an empire um, when he's fighting luke like a lot of a lot of again the choreography with the lightsaber is very similar to what happened in Rogue One. I think if you were to probably just watch a straight-on shot of that scene, like if you just had a camera, you're at the end of the hallway, and you just had him walk towards you doing all that, mm-hmm. it probably would not be as impressive as the way it was of cut. Of course, yeah, yeah. And so I think I think because of that it feels a lot more impactful than it probably really was. And I remember um, at one point, like I watched it, like just pulled that scene up on YouTube, and I watched that. Um, just to see like, okay, is it really like very different? And there's like yeah. scenes where, or there's snippets of that scene where like he hacks at somebody, but it's like not fast. It's, yeah. it's like kind of, he just kind of moves his arm down and the guy goes down and, and the thing is they're in a small hallway, so he doesn't really have to be like quick. Right. I think the quickest part is when he's deflecting like the bolts, like the blaster bolts, but, um, but I, I mean, I don't disagree. I think it's definitely a more powerful Vader than what we're used to seeing. Have you
0: seen the scene thirty six or whatever it is on YouTube where like they yeah. people like fan made like a fight between the fight between Obi wan and Vader?
1: I did. I think it's really cool. The only problem that I have with it is it has like the the prequel effects where everything has to be super quick and like yeah, they see, have. Yeah, I the, hate all that stuff. Like I don't. <laughs> so,
0: like I'm an old school. I'm older than you. I'm a lot older than you, and I grew up watching Star Wars. I love Star Wars. Um, like, much like you, like Star Wars is my favorite IP. Star yeah. Trek is close, but they're two different things, right? Like Star Wars and Star Trek are just two very different things. Um, I'd love them both, but um, I I think like for me, like I just pretend like the prequels don't exist, is because I don't like them at all. There's like I can have many podcasts about why I don't like the prequels, <laughs> but for me, the way that the fighting is portrayed in some of the Star Wars, the sort of George Lucas Star Wars, where it's <clears throat> samurai fighting yeah where it's more like like you said more slow or deliberate like you you're cutting somebody you're cutting their hands off you're cutting their heads off right ever it's it's not that like kung fu esque, like spinning everything is flipping and spinning pointless useless motion that doesn't you know have any impact in real world combat um i i just like the older style like you know the samurai movie which i think you know is the original intent that Lucas had, I think was like, yeah, he was kind of making like a Western and slash sci-fi slash samurai movie. Yeah. You know, we definitely see that in the mall, uh, Obi-Wan fight. Yeah. And there's the, de- the death of Darth Maul in that it's very much like from a Zatoichi movie where like you just, you know, this is one, I um, in Japanese, Aedo is the, um, art of drawing a sword, yeah. um, with a killing intent. And like, that's what we see. You just see like this draw, like this one motion, and it's like it's death, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. I just really dig that aspect of it way more than like the flipping and stuff. So none of that like bothers me. Like that they, you know, he didn't have like that flipping around stuff. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't bother me that he's like faster. Um, I just think it's a little bit of the to- sign of the times, right? Like here's yeah. a movie made in '77 versus a movie that was made in 2016. Something's going to be different, right? Yeah. you know the way action is shot the way that the pace moves are paced like tons of stuff's going to be different right but, culture changes
1: and i think what the like the prequels suffer from which this one didn't is like uh a lot of the choreography with the lightsabers are it's like stage choreography. So if you were to, if you were to go see like a play or if you were to go see, um, you know, some, some type of production where it's on stage and there are swordsmen, like if you're sitting in the very back row up in the balcony seats, like you can barely see the people on the stage as is Mm -hmm. like in order to telegraph, like the emotion or the intent behind the choreography, like they have to do these big, broad sweeping, like quick movements because like that, that's what conveys more to the audience but if you're watching it on, like, a, a big screen in the movie theater, and these people are, like, 30 feet tall, like, I don't need to see them, like, spinning, <laughs> like, like especially in the prequels. There's scenes where, like, nobody's over near and them, and they're and just, like, over, spinning yeah. the lightsaber around.
0: Yeah, there, there's, so, it's interesting you say that, because, like, a lot of kung fu actors, specifically like, Jackie Chan, Sammo Hong, those guys grew up, like, literally grew up studying, like, Peking Opera in Hong Kong. Yeah. And that's what you would do. you learn, like stage fighting, stage choreography. And like you said, it'd be these big, you know, grandiose, like spinning, everything's flipping. It's like like gymnastics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um and that definitely influences like the prequels. Like the type of yeah. action that you see in the prequels is more that Kung Fu it's style of like fighting. Um but so I don't I don't love the new trilogy. I'm not in love with it. Um I think it's in The Last Jedi. There's a cool scene where there's a cool scene where uh kylo ren and ray are like fighting against these like red imperial guardsmen type people that and it's a lot of that flipping and everything and i remember talking to mike and i was like oh man not you know he's like oh the movie's terrible i didn't like it i was like oh man but that one scene was like really cool he was like is it is it really watch it again (laughs) watch it again so when it came out on dvd or whatever blu-ray I like watched it again, and like yeah, there's uh, parts in that scene where people are like falling down dead or whatever that yeah. aren't hit by anything. Yeah. Like they're not hit by yeah. Kylo Ren's sword, they're not hit yeah. by Ray's sword. And I'm, I was like, oh man, that guy was right. I was so disappointed. Like it's not as cool as I thought it was. I mean, just...
1: in the in the sequels, um, those are really like good looking movies. Like the like the color design, like the cinematography, like they're really good looking movies, but. It just it can't just be a good looking movie. Yeah, like you've we could save have, it for
0: another podcast. Uh, but like, yeah, we both um, we both have a lot of problems with the, one, both the prequels and the sequels. One
1: thing I'll mention that I wanted to say about Jen, um, that yeah. I, I didn't say earlier, is one thing I really like about Jen Russo in this movie, which is you know you could say like even Jen and Cassine together, they're both you know the leads, right? Um, is it feels like every like Star Wars movie has some character that has some kind of like hopeful aspirations. Like I know like Empire starts on like a down note, but then you have Return, and Return, you know, I think is probably back to that lighthearted feeling of the oh, first yeah. one.
0: It's an action adventure and, movie, yeah.
1: But even in like Empire, like still like the way it starts off, like things are upbeat, things are not not terrible. Um but you, ha- you still have very hopeful characters. Yeah. And with and like with Rogue One, like you don't have a hopeful character. Like, they're all beaten down by life. Yeah, but Lewis. They all hate their station in life. Rebellions are built on hope. <laughs> yeah. They
0: say that like five times well, in the movie.
1: But that's the thing. Like, that, and that's the character arc that I think a lot of people, like, miss, especially in all the criticisms that I yeah. see. they Is like, oh, I feel like Jin, like, she's, like, a real passive character. Like, things just happen to her. But, I mean, I think it's the nature of the character. Like, she, like, she. Lost her parents effectively, like when she was a small child. Was by, she was raised by a guerrilla fighter, yeah, crazy, yeah. who a crazy like re, you know, rebel guerrilla fighter who was, left her for dead yeah, at some he's point. He's
0: so extreme that Mon Mothma and the rebels are like, oh yeah, we can't deal with that guy. Yeah, he's like so. I mean, he's extreme. basically
1: like a terrorist. Like yeah. he does. Well, they're
0: all they're all like terrorists.
1: Well, so. yeah, I think more to the extreme <laughs> on his end, but. But either way, like, she, she's led this, like, horrible life. Like, she's probably not had many moments of happiness, like, since she was taken from her parents or since she left her parents. Right. And, yeah, I mean, at this point in her life, like, she doesn't care. She's cynical. Like, like oh, he even yeah. he even said, like, you, the quote you said where he was like, I've been in this fight since I was six. Yeah. He was like, you know, some of us didn't get a choice. Right. Um. And, and like, for her, like, they, they have, like, a really good back and forth there where I feel like he kind of if you want to consider it like an argument or a debate, like he wins at the end because she makes a comment. Like, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's like, well, you can't say that. And he was like, no, I can like, I, I've, yeah. like I've been put into this. I've had to deal with this. And this was, you know, this is like my, my lot in life. And so like with her, like she's had to figure out like what to fight for. Like now she has finally this motivation or she's been pushed forward by like the death of her father Realizing like what Cassian's had to do up until this point, just to like survive or to try to fight for a better future, and like she's now sees that hope because when she says that, it's just repeating what he said earlier because he he made the comment earlier when he he said something and said hope and he was like yeah I hope we can do that and she was like hope like real sarcastically yeah, yeah. and he's like yeah rebellions are built on hope yeah
0: they say that a bunch
1: and. And so when she, like, echoes that later, it's like, no, she's finally got the realization, like, this is what I, like, this is what I'm here to fight for. All this stuff was happening to me, but now I can turn this around and I can do something about it.
0: Yeah, it's cool because she gives that, you know, she had put herself in dangerous situations before to survive. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the movie, she's put herself in dangerous situations for a cause greater than herself. And she gives that cool speech basically saying that, like, hey... We have to, like, if we don't stop this weapon, like, they literally could just take over the whole galaxy and everything will be under the thumb of the Empire forever. And, like, um, we have, there's no other alternative except, even if there's, you know, unbelievable odds and it's a suicide mission, we have to, like, do something. And her argument is, like, there's a chance. We have a chance that we could not, you know, live the rest of our lives bound and scrape into the Empire. We could, like, have a solution. Like, my father gave us an out. We got to take it. And that, or at least try, and that to me, it adds a layer of complexity to the movie, um, to the trilogy that comes after, where you sort of see the extent of like what a real war is. It's not just like an action-adventure type movie, yeah. to the point where I think about like, you know, I have kids, they're older, and one day if I ever have grandkids, would and I wanted to show them what the Star Wars thing is, what it's all about, would I start with Rogue One or would I start with New Hope? Because I feel like, well, I would ignore the prequels because <laughs> no one has time for that. But if I started with Rogue One and then go on to New Hope, it really kind of presents the world of the Empire and stuff in a kind of a different light, you know, yeah. and the Rebellion, too. So I don't know, that's a complex question, I think. Like, because you, you know, now as more and more stuff come out, I mean, you could really like, you know, start with some of the TV shows and yeah. like show those, start with Rebels, you yeah. know, and like show those. And then, so it's just kind of an interesting
1: I think like what you, I mean, it. I think the obvious answer is you have to start with the original trilogy, not because it's what I like the most, but it's because if you go from Rogue One to Star Wars, like the difference in yeah. the difference in screenwriting, the difference in tone, filmmaking, tone, the difference in yeah. tone and like special effects, like they're gonna be like, like what is this old garbage? Like what is this black and white movie you're yeah. showing me? You know, like to like at this point, like the original Star Wars is like approaching like.
0: 77 to 2022, I don't know, how many years is that?
1: I mean, soon it'll be like 50 years old, right? Yeah, 50, uh, It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah.
1: And five 77. more years? Right. Yeah. If we can do math.
0: Man, I can't believe that.
1: It's nuts. Yeah, so I think that, uh, I think Jeez. you have to start with that.
0: I'm getting old, man. Yeah. So I'm be like Obi Wan, <laughs> <in the deserts, laughs> just wandering the deserts, just the deserts, like looking for sand people, looking for Tusken Raiders. If <laughs> I can do a crate dragon howl and scare them off, it's gonna be me out in the desert, a hermit. <laughs> um, anything else you want to say about Rogue One? Um, any other thoughts that you had? Did you like the movie? You didn't really say whether well I liked did. It? No,
1: I, I like it a lot. So I think. I think where it ranks for me, like original trilogy, just, I mean, because it's what got me into it and it's still like, I, like, I feel like it's the, the crux of the whole Star Wars universe. So for me, like original trilogy ranks at the top, Mm -hmm. I would definitely put Rogue One, I think in front of any other, any other Star Wars movies. Okay. So it's it's high up there. Yeah. How about you?
0: No, I really liked a lot. Like, I believe me, and you went and saw it together. Yeah. I think we like got in your Mini Cooper, drove <laughs> to the Garden Theater. Um, I do. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I like you know New Hope and Return and Empires. Like beyond that, but I mean, those are some of my favorite movies. Um, but then after those, you know, it's it's definitely up there. I'd have to like really think about it and see if there's anything that I like more than Rogue One. I I think. If Rogue One if the rest of the the sequel trilogy have been more like the quality of like Rogue One, then I think yeah. Star Wars would be in a different place right now. Um, but hopefully they'll get to that, you know, through Disney Plus. I mean, everything that's come out on Disney Plus that's Star Wars related so far, knock on wood, I've been like really exceedingly yeah. happy with. It seems like I feel like, oh man, they had this, they can't top that and then the next episode will be like, Oh man, they had this, they had this and so you know, just the introduction of, like, characters I never thought I'd see in a live-action format and, like, series that are still out yet to come yeah. that I, they've announced. Like, it just seems like they're, you know, under the guidance of Jean Ferreau and Dave Filoni or whatever his name is. Um, that's right, Dave Filoni? Dave Filoni, yeah. just feel like they have, like, a real solid, like, foundation in terms of, like, what the fans want to see, what Star Wars really is all about, what the philosophy of Star Wars is. And they really like kind of pointed it in the right direction. They seem like they can't do anything wrong. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some issues with some minor aspects yeah. of some of those shows, but that's how it's going to be for any show,
1: right? Uh, like I said, going back to what I mentioned earlier with Rogue One, like if you strip out the Star Wars elements. Like you could set that in a different time, or even set it yeah. in like a different world. But it, the the story itself, the like the core of the story, still holds up. Yeah. With like Force Awakens, Last Jedi, like if you strip out Star Wars, like it's there's a, nothing no, left. Yeah,
0: it's a spaghetti. It's like like there, there's no. It's so confusing. Not, like <laughs> the
1: like the whole purpose of the sequels was it felt like an apology for the prequels, and so it's just like a return. It's it, like they're all based on the premise of nostalgia for Star Wars. Even like Last Jedi, where I don't remember the director's name offhand, but um. Oh, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, yeah. where he like strips out, like basically undoes, like <laughs> yeah. a lot of what JJ Abrams undo everything that, yeah. And but I mean, even in his movie, like, there's not really like a story without Star Wars. Like, it is a, it has to be Star yeah. Wars in order for that didn't to make see sense. Star Wars
0: before you would never understand what was going on no. in the movie or anything, yeah.
1: But like even Rogue One, like when like I said, we've recently watched all the movies start to finish with uh, with the kids, and I think like Brooke's favorite. And Brooke, my wife, is not a Star Wars fan at all. Yeah. And Rogue One is probably her favorite.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's a good movie. I like it. If you haven't, if you're listening to this, and you haven't ever watched it, then I guess we kind of spoiled it for you. My bad. Uh, but if you haven't seen it in a long time, maybe you saw it when it came out, and you haven't seen it since then. You know, go on Disney Plus. Um, if you don't have Disney Plus, you know, shoot me an email, I'll buy it for you, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> It's like the only listener I have is like on the podcast today. So <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um but yeah, recommended, highly recommended, good movie. Check it out. Definitely have Lewis back to uh, talk about another Star Wars movie at some point, I'm sure. Maybe Solo or uh, one of the ones that come out. Um, I guess are they ever doing any more Star Wars movies or we don't know?
1: Uh, I mean I think most everything right now is planned for Disney Plus, Disney TV. Okay. Yeah.
0: So yeah, so we can talk about one of the one of the other Star Wars movies that's come out or a Disney TV show, whatever, so but thanks a lot for talking about uh Star Wars, Lou. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we will be right back to talk about a game that you can play after you enjoy watching Rogue One. And we're back. So I'm here with my friend Louis. And we're going to talk about a game that you can play after you watch Star Wars. Um, any Star Wars, really, but you know, I guess you know definitely um, Rogue One, one of the better Star Wars movies. And that game is Star Wars Outer Rim. And this game came out in 2019. It was published by Fantasy Flight Games. It's for one to four players, ages 14 and up. It's designed by Corey Knizia. And it has a runtime of 120 to 180 minutes. It's a long game. Yeah. It is a really long game.
1: It doesn't feel long, though.
0: Not when you're playing it. When After it's over and you look yeah. at it, you think, oh, wow, that took a long time. <laughs> that took a long time. Um, so in Star Wars Outer Rim, essentially you're playing some of the more nefarious um, characters. It's not a Jedi game. There's not Jedi in it. Um, it's all the bounty hunters and the scum and villainy and the... Some of the good guys too, right? Han Solo, Lando yeah. Calrissian, some of the smugglers, um, and you're. It's a sandbox game, and so what I mean by sandbox game is that it's pretty open. You can go out and you can fight patrols, you can fight other characters, you can not fight at all. You can just do pick up and deliver, like delivering cargo, delivering smuggled goods, doing jobs, like going to planets and doing jobs. Um, there's, you know, getting gear, getting new ships, upgrading your ships. It's literally like. Tons of stuff that you can do. Yeah, whatever you want to do. So what did you think about um, Star Wars Outer Rim as a game, board game?
1: I mean, I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. <laughs> you said I, I loved it. I think, uh, like, I think it took us about, what did we say, it was like two and a half hours.
0: Two player, two and a half hours. Yeah. yeah we played a short game. We played to um, eight fame points instead of the normal ten.
1: I think if we were to go back and run it back again, um, I mean, because we played it at nine, like we could only really get, get in one play. But I think if... We were to go back and play it again like the when we first started out once we finally got it all set up so it's probably two hours with setup um or after setup yeah but once we had it set up like those first couple turns just trying to figure things out like took a little while but right at the end of the game like we were doing turns in like two to three minutes at the most yeah. like it was it was going by at a pretty quick clip um because you kind of get stuff for your ship and get
0: jobs and you kind of know what you want to do where at the beginning yeah. you're kind of like trying to figure out like Oh, where do I want to do? What do I want to go? Yeah. What do I want? But by the end, you're like, Oh, I got these bounties. I want to go find these guys. I know where they are. I yeah. see so your turns go like a lot faster.
1: And it's pretty cool. I didn't really think of it like, uh, at the time when we were playing it, it as like a sandbox game, but I mean, really you're not like the only, the only limitations you have is you have, uh, three steps in a turn. So you just have to go through those steps. And outside of that, it's just like your stats, like whatever your ship stats are or your personal stats yeah. are kind of determine what you're able to do or to what limit. Um, but outside of that, I mean, you don't have to take on bounties. You don't have to do jobs. Yeah. You. Um, I, I mean,
0: think you could. I don't know. I don't think you could win. But I think you could just stay somewhere, beef up your ship, and literally just go and attack and blow up the patrols.
1: Possibly. Because yeah. you get
0: fame points from that. Yeah. Until they get to the highest level, you can't do that. So the fourth level, we didn't get to the fourth level, but the fourth level, they're in there. You can't. They can't be defeated. Yeah. Um, so I guess you couldn't just keep doing that over and over and over again. But you could do that way more than we did. I was just trying to like avoiding the patrols. But yeah. really you could like beef up your ship and just like seek see yeah. out the patrols and blow them up to get points and stuff. Yeah. I was just trying to kind of stay away from them.
1: Well, I think the – I mean, and the way it looks on the table, I mean, it's like with any Fantasy Flight game like this. Like there's just a ton of components, like a bunch yeah. of stuff out on the table, which is fine. But like the, the look of the map is really cool. Like you're flying around like the system, like the, the outer yeah. rim. And all the
0: planets or plants you've seen in Star Wars movies, yeah. plants
1: you've heard of, right? And so you're visiting places you know, you're running into characters, you know, you're especially for a Star Wars fan, like the theme is like dripping off this game. Like it's incredibly thematic. Like one of the things we were talking about is when we were playing it, is like right at the beginning, like the Millennium Falcon was out as an option to buy, and the DL forty four, like Hans Blaster was out to buy and so of course like the first thing i want to do is like i'm playing han solo so i just want to get those two things i don't care about anything else <laughs> yeah. like and and then the rest of the game i was like running around looking for Chewie and could never find him <laughs>
0: yeah but and i was playing bosk and so the main thing i wanted to do was to get um bosk's ship which if you don't know is called the houndstooth Um, I think it's YLV six 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 freighter or something like that. Um, but the name of the ship is Houndstooth, and so I was just like cycling through the ships trying to find (laughs) the Houndstooth and then get enough money to get it. Um, so yeah, we definitely went on more thematic route. I think like like and my character, I was really focused on bounties, which you know I do. You know I have watched videos where people talked about how in a two player game the bounties are harder like means to win because there's less people turning over the contacts. Which I did kind of see that. It kind of felt like um, they weren't as easy to complete bounties as it was to complete sure. jobs. Now bounties give you more money and give you more fame points to jobs, so they should be harder. But it was almost like, man, I finally found Chewbacca. Yeah. I finally captured him. Now I've got to fly all the way across the galaxy. And like so like you ended the game before I could get to drop him off. Uh, but you were so far ahead of that point in time, it didn't matter anyway. Well,
1: I, I think we were playing a longer game. So I got to a point where... Like, over the course of like so we played for two hours, and I felt yeah. like there was like a period of thirty minutes where I like jumped into the lead. And then I kind of stalled for a little bit, yeah. And I think if we had played the longer game, like your your setup, you finally upgraded your ship. You started getting like add-ons and crew that I think, had like a lot of good synergy with like your abilities and had good synergy with each other that you probably could have gotten to a point where you could have been completing bounties a lot more quickly but
0: yeah
1: i think the problem is like getting to that point took a while it it took a while to build the engine now you got the engine the game's over and so yeah
0: i would so spoiler alert i would definitely love to play it again sometime and i definitely would like to play it at the 10 fame which is like the standard length of the game yeah um, because I do think it'll take a little while longer. i I don't know if I'd necessarily go for the bounty strategy again, although it's really fun when you're like playing as boss <laughs> and you have Greedo in your crew and you have thermal detonators and like you know, and you have a jetpack
1: yeah.
0: and you can like fly around the galaxy and like you know capture like Han Solo and like. Um. So I agree with you in that the game is driven with theme. It it literally might be the most thematic game I've ever played. You feel like. You're playing yeah. Star Wars. You feel like you're in Star Wars. Yeah, like you. I don't. Every character that you play feels like that character. Yeah. It's crazy. Like your Han's ability is add plus two movement to all any ship that you get. Yeah, and so that makes sense because like he's the fastest. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and then even even to the point where. Uh so so in the game there's like stack stacks of cards. So one of the steps in your turn is a marketplace action. Right. So you can buy cards from the, the table. So there's always gonna be like a, a couple job cards out there. There's going to be cargo cards that cargo, you can yeah. that you can deliver. Um ships. there could be like illicit cargo where it's or illegal cargo. Yeah. Um there's gonna be ships you can buy and um and I think there's like what the like the legendary or whatever that deck yeah, is there's where it's
0: mods two and the cargo is mods spot, and gear right, for your gear and gear for your personal character because you can do ship to ship combat and you can also do person to person combat and then the last one we didn't mess with it too much but like it's like expensive luxury items luxury stuff yeah um so they give you a lot of stuff if you like get it to complete it or whatever
1: and like of course like when the job kessleron comes out it's like again playing as sure. han solo it's like oh i gotta do that and like so it like I spent probably like three or four turns like building up to it, right? And and then I think when uh, when I finally did it the first time, like I failed it, and so yeah. I had to like build back up, clear off all my damage, um, and and do it again. But yeah, I mean, it the game can be as thematic as you want, and you can like try to play out like those characters based on the lore, the history, as much as you wanted to, or, right? Or not at all. I mean, yeah. Um, but
0: if you're a Star Wars fan this is like a no brainer game to try. Oh, absolutely. And buy. Like it's, it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> like it's really fun. Like I've had this game for a while. And for whatever reason, I just never got it out. Probably because the, the play time is like, I saw on the box, yeah. like 108 minutes and I was like, Oh gosh, 108 minutes. Our game night is always on Tuesday night. And you know, this is hard. You start at eight. You don't want to like be there in somebody's house till midnight and got to get up and go to work the next morning. Right. Yeah. Um, But I tell you, man, since we played it, I have wanted—I have nothing but wanted to play it again. Yeah, same. I'm like, I just want to play it again. (laughs) I want to get three players or four players and like just black out an afternoon, or you know, or play like on a Friday night or a Saturday night where it doesn't matter so much, and like just really play it. And you know, it takes as long as it takes. Yeah. Because it's really fun, man. It's it's the fact that you can just do whatever you want. And there's different paths to victory, and like. It's a race because you're trying to get there, you know that that fame marker first. And I like I, that. I have no complaints about
1: it. I like that there's not that much, like there's not a lot of player interaction. I mean, there's really no player interaction. There's a little
0: bit. If like some of the cards were like,
1: do this to the whoever
0: has the most fame. Yeah. There's some like catch-up mechanics. It didn't really. I felt like you got a couple of those cards a couple of times but you were already in the lead, so they yeah. didn't like fire. But I think in a game with like four players or something. Or three, and maybe would fire a little bit more, but there yeah. isn't very much messing with each other cards. But you can literally go and fight the other person too, yeah. you know, which we didn't do. But like, if I have a bounty and that, if I have a, a bounty for moskatana and Mascatana is on your ship, I can literally go and like <laughs> capture her off your yeah. ship, right? So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah,
1: like, that, and but again, like that's not that's not. Going to be, I mean, based on we played just the one game. I'm sure on multiple playthroughs and with four players, it might be different. But just in the two-player game, it wasn't like that was the key to victory. You know what I mean? Like the the key yeah. to victory was kind of more building up the engine and trying to figure out like what's going to, like what what type of gear mods crew are you going to do to, are, are you going for bounties? Are you going for jobs? Are you delivering cargo? Like what are you trying to do to to get like that victory condition? Yeah. Um. And and I feel like the player interaction. I mean, the most Player interaction really is the cycling of the marketplace cards. Yeah. And, like, I mean, you were kind enough that you didn't cycle the Millennium Falcon, but you could have.
0: Well, I think it's weird that you said that because, like, when you're saying, like, oh, you can do this and this to win, and, like, you don't really get to mess with other people, I didn't even really care about winning very much, which is really weird because I don't usually, you know, I usually play games I try to win, right? But in this game, like, when you were playing Han and the Millennium Falcon came up on the ship deck, I was like, "Oh, like I'm that would be cool like if he gets the
1: yeah.
0: Millennium Falcon. Yeah. That would be cool. Like it didn't yeah. to me it was more about like telling the story and like building the you know, the story. I mean, I was still trying to win. It wasn't like yeah. I was like doing stuff to hurt myself or anything, but like I didn't I wasn't like trying to go after you cuz I was like, "Oh, wow, if he gets the Millennium Falcon and he has Han and he goes on the Kessel run, that would be cool. Like let's see what that does." Um, but at the same time, like I didn't want you to get Chewbacca. Like I went and got Chewbacca yeah. before you could get Chewbacca, <laughs> right? Um, just because that would have made you even like more, because you, you could get Chewbacca for free or something. I right? would, and I would have been able to upgrade my ship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's cool too. Is you can you have like personal goals that you get to upgrade, and then you have ship goals, and then when certain things happen, your personal can upgrade, your ship yep. can upgrade. It gives you better stats, which is always cool. Um, a little bit of like an RPG type thing going on there, where you get to like upgrade. There's cards that have secrets, which we didn't like mess I think around we with We really too much. ran into too many. I, so when I was going to all those nav points, a lot of those cards had secrets on them, but it was always like if, at a, if you're at this nav point and the patrol, uh. then there's this secret at the bottom. And I was always there without the trolls, so this was really like avoiding the patrols for whatever reason. Um, so, But there's like other, une- well, I guess what I'm saying is there are other unexplored elements that even though we play for two over two hours, there's like, other parts of the game that we didn't yeah. really touch on because, like I said, I was I mm-hmm. was just really focused on, like, I'm going to gear up my guy as most as I can. That way, when I have to fight people, I can, like, have a good shot of winning, so I yeah. got gear for that. And then I was like, I just want to get bounties. I just want to get bounties. And then when you can upgrade your ship, it's, like, a big difference between the starter ship and, like, your upgrade ship. Because oh, yeah. you have so many more crew slots. You have so many oh. more cargo slots. And then once you start putting car- um, crew down, they have, like, other keywords besides the one you started with it really opens up those jobs. You can like really start, like you said, your engine really starts to go, you know?
1: Yeah. And the, as far as, as far as like the upgrades are concerned, like because you can keep buying, overriding things, like you can even pivot, right? So like if you're trying to go for the bounty strategy, maybe you have people that have like uh, things that add to your, um, to your uh, ground combat level. So when you fight people, you're able to capture them a lot more easier. Well, if that's not like working for you, if you're not able, if you're not really seeing much success there, and you're like, oh, I want to move more in like uh, in like the because there's also like an encounter strategy too.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, which isn't something we really discuss, but th- there's like an encounter deck in the game where when you uh, encounter like different characters as you go planet to planet, um, it it'll tell you to pull a card, so you can either try to fight the person and capture them. Yeah. Um, or you can pull their card, and usually it gives you the option to. Um, maybe add them to your crew if you meet a certain set of conditions or if you do a certain skill check. Um, but, uh, but there's also, um, cards that you can buy, um, like job cards that will give you encounter cards as well. And so that's where I got like the Kessel run. So with the Kessel run, um, you know, it, it was a job I had to complete. I had to get to Kessel And then once I was there, I would, you know, activate like the encounter um, as part of as part of the turn. And you pull the encounter card and that's where it gets into more of like the story elements. It's like Mm -hmm. it's like you sneak a sneak down on planet. You uh, identify, you know, a shipment of spice you. And so it's like going through these like stages of whatever the job is. And at each point, like you're doing skill checks like a role playing game.
0: Right, like a role playing game, yeah. And, and you can mitigate your dice rolls with yeah. abilities of characters abilities and like their keywords and stuff. It was kind of cool.
1: And it reminds me a lot of like the like all the Red Raven games where um, where you have like these like story cards or a story book yeah. where it's like, uh, it's like, if you want to go here, go to page 26 and you go to page 26 and you read like the encounter or read the story elements. And usually there, there's some kind of a skill check or, um, or a challenge that you have to complete. And, uh, and so that, that was pretty cool. It all, also added to like, again, the theme of the game.
0: Right. I think that, um, there's a good, not of characters in the game too. From all different like things of Star Wars. There's Honda and Naka. There's yeah. characters from The Force Awakens. There's like, Maz Katana. There's like stuff from the original series like Greedo. Um, uh, what was that guy's <laughs> I'm just trying to think that of I was, it now, too. That I, just, that I got and we're like, who the hell is this guy? I remember <laughs> him from Star Wars Destiny. It's like Bo...
1: Beau... Bo Sheck.
0: Sheck, yeah.
1: He's like in the background of the, of the movies. <laughs> yeah.
0: And there's like, uh, you know, Chewbacca, um, Black Chrysanthemum, is that his name? Black Chrysanthemum, yeah. Yeah, he was in there. That was kind of cool to see him in there. So there's like a wide array of characters that I thought was yeah. pretty cool. Um, and then what do you think about the art and the components
1: I mean I thought the I thought the art was great. Um I mean we were joking because we played a lot of Fantasy Flight Star Wars stuff. They reuse art and like everything. <laughs> so playing
0: games, every card game. Like role
1: playing games, Imperial Assault, yeah. which that's another game that we played a lot of was Imperial Assault. And I, I really like that game, but like even in that, like I, I mean, it's story driven, but it's still something about it, like this feels more thematic. Yeah. Like, or it ties to it because like with Imperial Assault, it's like a tactical miniatures game. Right. And while yes, you're playing like Star Wars characters. Um, I mean, really you're just trying to figure out how to, you know, move a character over here in order to do like, you know, take out this person or get, get here before a counter goes down or whatever, like the mission is. And so it feels like, I mean, it's could, more on tracks.
0: Yeah. Whereas this is because it's so open sandboxy. You can play it in a way in which you get as much theme as you care about getting.
1: Well, Imperial Assault, it's like any other mini, like tactical miniatures game. You can lift the theme off and put something else on top yeah, of it, yeah. and it's the same game. And I feel like with this... like I'm sure you could probably do some other type of sci-fi theme to it, but I mean... What you're doing, you're collecting these ships, and especially as a Star Wars fan, like you're gonna know all the ships. Even if you played like the Star Wars video games, like Star Wars Battlefront, like you're gonna know all the yeah, ships. Yeah, you're gonna know the ships. You're gonna know especially the characters. If you
0: ever played X-wing, which is another Fantasy Flight you know, tabletop miniatures game? Yeah. It's all the same ships from that. All yeah. the cool ships from the movie. Yes, you know, Slave One, which I guess is they renamed it Boba Fett's ship, and yeah. a lot of new toys and stuff. Yeah. But, Slave 1, Houndstooth, Million Falcon. I don't even know what else is in there.
1: Like Prince Zezor, I think, is in the game. I don't think it's, it's, it's another character that's like the same alien race.
0: Oh, gotcha. Um, but I like the art. I like the components. I mean, it's just cardboard components. Like you said, it's a yeah. bunch of Fantasy Flight <laughs> components. But here's the thing about the game that I can't overemphasize enough. One, it's not fiddly. There's no aspect of the game that feels, like, fiddly to me. Huh? And two, on your turn, it's super simple what you do <laughs> at the end of the day. Like, there's weird edge cases maybe. There's, like, two rule books, which seems unnecessary to me. The one, you know, we, the reference we didn't really touch.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, you know, it's just, it's, you can move. You can stay where you are, you can like go to the market, you can buy cards or you can like, you know, uh, you know, whatever the other things are, deliver or whatever. Yeah. Right. And then like there's a, take an encounter from a contact near you or take an encounter from the planet. It's not like, once you start doing it, like you said, our turns are like flying by. Yeah, I just you know what you want to do, you yeah. know? So the simplicity of it was was neat, you know? Um, I do feel like when you're at, like, if we're playing an 8 and you're at, like, 6 fame and I'm at, like, 2, it does feel like, oh, I can't catch up. There's yeah. not, like, a way for me to, like, really catch up. Um, but, you know, like I said, I wasn't really worried about winning as much as I was about, like, oh, I'm going to try to get these, like, bounties, yeah.
1: you know, <laughs> so. Well, and we're, we were figuring the game out, too. I mean, I think by the end of it, we we had it down pretty solid. And, like the like you said, you had... You were playing Bosk. You had crew members that all synergized like with yeah, different abilities, yeah. where like you weren't you weren't failing at any of your like attacks. Like when you were doing any like you were succeeding every time. It's just it was taking you longer to yeah. get there. Um, but I also got like my upgraded ship before you did, and so I think that gave me a huge boost because um, like with the Millennium Falcon, I could move around the map quick, and then with Han Solo's ability. I can move around even quicker, so like I could,
0: you could fly,
1: man. move quick, and yeah. so it just. I think I think you got to get the ship out there first. But one thing I really liked about it too, that um, that I I think I got beat up a lot on. I don't think you really had any any negative consequences. Was the uh, the patrols? Yeah. So like, There's on like
0: AI, like uh, yeah. think of it as a computer AI that. They fly around the board and they can like mess with you.
1: So you have like the four different factions. You have the Huts, uh, the Syndicate, Rebels, and Empire. And they have uh, patrol tokens. They each have one that will fly around the map. And based on the jobs that you do, based on cargo that you deliver, based on encounters that happen, mm-hmm. um, you can either gain or lose reputation. And for me, like I lost reputation with the Syndicate, and I kept running into the Syndicate patrol like over and over. <laughs> And which was fine because I could, like, I think I won, like, two of the three fights. Um, but still it, like, slowed me down. You know what yeah, I mean? It, like it and, throws a
0: monkey wrench in your plan.
1: It does. But it's, again, like, super thematic, you know? It's, like, uh, it's gaining reputation or, or gaining, like, infamy with, like, those different, yeah. different factions. And based on that, you know, it also affects encounters. Because when we would pull some of those encounter cards, um, if it was, like, a, a syndicate um like a syndicate character it may say if you have negative syndicate you got to fight this guy and so i think uh i don't remember which character it was but i remember i pulled a syndicate card i had negative syndicate reputation and i had no choice i had to fight him
0: i think like with dangar didn't you have to fight him too no matter what <laughs> yeah. like you just had to fight him no matter yeah. what yeah that was kind of cool i thought i'm glad to see dangar was in there I'm, you know, I'm, I have a sucker for like IG 88 and Bosk and Zuckus and Forlam and Boba Fett and Dengar. Like the bounty hunters that you see in Empire, any game that has those in them, like they instantly get my money. But I really look forward to the sequel. One of the things that people have said a lot about is a complaint of the game is that, like, yeah, it's fun, it's great, but there's not enough content in yeah. the box it's to have like sustained replayability because you start to see the same cards after like a few plays. Um, so it's a game that's in desperate need of, like, an uh, expansion to add more cards, add more characters, yeah. add more ships, just give us more of it, and it would be really fun. I don't know exactly how they would balance that, because you'd have to, like, consider, like, what you, you know, have out there, right? But yeah. it feels like it's a game, because the encounter cards go from, like, 1 to 92, but there's a huge chunk in the middle that's not there. So it's almost like a game that maybe they built with, like, an inca- uh, the expansion already in the play, and yeah. they, like... Took it out to sell as an expansion, maybe or something. I don't know. Um, I know it's advertised, and it, um, you know, in the solo movie, it like bugs me. I can't remember her name. Like the 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 ridge, the bad guy that's like messing with their train stuff all the time. She was in Destiny too.
1: Uh, like Captain a, Phasma.
0: No, it's like a Metroid character. Like she takes off her armor, and you find out it's like a young girl, like a, a younger uh, lady. Hmm. Um, She's in Anyway, she's in it. She's in okay. the solo. She's yeah, yeah. in the game, the next expansion. I remember seeing her because she was a cool character in Destiny. I just can't remember her name right now. Um, She was like the one that led the gang of people that were like messing with Woody Harrelson's crew at the beginning. Oh,
1: you're talking about in Solo. Um, yeah, in Solo. Uh, Infest Nest.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking she, She's in Force there. Awakens. I don't know who else they've announced. I just remember seeing her on the box art for the new game. Yeah. Um, So that'd be cool. They're pulling characters from, like, Solo. It seems like they're maintaining the, you know, just pulling from, like, all of Star Wars, not just sticking with, like, one time frame or whatever. So that's kind of neat. I think that's, you know, more characters, the better. Uh, But overall, for me, like, on a 1 to 5, it's probably a 5. I mean, it's really fun. I love Star Wars, so, of course, that helps. Maybe if I didn't love Star Wars or I didn't care about Star Wars, it wouldn't be, you know. But that's a double-edged sword, right? Because, like, with the love of an ip you got to come out with a product that like kind of shows like a grasp of that and like some reverence towards that yeah and if not it can go south you know just because it's star wars doesn't mean i'm gonna love it there's other star wars games i don't like that don't handle it very well or there's not good games but this game you know it's a good game and because of Star Wars, it just pushes it yeah. to like a five for me what about you on a one to five scale
1: i mean i i agree i think probably it ranks high up there it's it's I, I want to play it a few more times before I give it like an official like judgment, but sure, I mean sure. it's it's probably like high up there. I mean I, I would have said like before Imperial Assault might have been like my favorite Star Wars like board game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean I, I love Destiny, but I don't really consider yeah, that like, like a board game. A TCG. Um, but I would say this probably beats that just because like I feel like it's it's a bit more like self-contained and like really you can do whatever you want and you still have some of those story elements. But I think that, uh, I think, yeah, part of it is probably because I'm, you know, a, a huge nerd for Star Wars. If I wasn't, uh, you know, I'd flip over Dangar and I'd be like, who's this guy with a head wound? <laughs>
0: yeah. Like,
1: why has he got bandages right. all over but his because head? Because you
0: know those characters, you make you like him more.
1: Uh, but because I know who it is, it's like, oh, it's Dangar. I need him on my crew, you yeah, know? Yeah. And it, it's. Oh, no,
0: that'd be weird to have Dengar and Hans, crew. They're <laughs> like mortal enemies.
1: Yeah. But I think it's. It, it, it definitely. Aside from just the Star Wars elements, um, it's still, like, fun. It's it's very simplistic, but at the same time, like, there's a lot going on. And, um, and I think you could probably place over, like, a different, like, sci-fi theme, and it still would work. But I think within the IP, like it feels very thematic with the way they have it set up, especially with the ships. And once you get the upgraded ship, I think that's where the game really opens up. Yeah.
0: You can do a lot more. You can, like, fly around the board a lot more and do a lot more combat and stuff. Cool. Well, anything else you want to say about Star Wars Outer Rim? It gets a Fun Factor 5 rating for me. If you like Star Wars at all, it's a no-brainer. Go buy it. Go play it. Um hopefully FMG get your act together come out the expansion I don't know this game came out in 2019 I think it's been a while so waiting on that expansion waiting to give you my money so come out with that expansion (laughs) Um, rumor is that you've announced the Villainous expansion so waiting on that too with with Vader and the Emperor and Maul and stuff take my money like I'll give you my money just put it on the shelf so I can buy it Uh, but anything you want to say about Outer Rim Star Wars Outer Rim the board game
1: Uh, just if you like Star Wars, it's like like you were saying, no brainer, you got to play it.
0: Cool. Well, thanks, Lou, for being on this special Star Wars-themed episode of Board Game Cinema. Definitely had to have you back on to another episode, talk about Star Wars or any other movie or game. Um, and to the listeners out there, may the force be with you. <laughs> All right, we're out. Bye. Bye-bye.